Welcome to the Octavius Gold Experience, and I'm your host, Octavius Gold. Today's episode is titled Values-Based Leadership, and I have the honor and privilege to have as a guest my good friend, Jay Hibbert. Welcome to the show, Jay. Octavius, it is good to be on. It's good to see you again. It's been a lot of years, although I feel like now with social media, you kind of feel like you're connected, even though we haven't seen each other personally for a long time. We surely have the, the same roots, which is great to share. Definitely. What's interesting about this is I have dialogue with many people that I've gone to school with, that I grew up with on social media, but there's nothing like getting on a Zoom call and having that one-on-one dialogue. So I'm looking forward to this today. Yeah, me too. And thanks so much for having me. Thank you for uh, being here. Well, Jay, let me introduce you to our audience. Well, Jay Hibbert is the Senior Vice President of Sales, Communications, and Business Development at Covenant Living Communities and Services. And now as I catch my breath, (laughs) (laughs) Jay and I go back decades. Jay and I went to the same high school. Jay graduated from Pemberton High School in New Jersey in 1984, if I'm correct, Jay. That's right. That's right. I graduated in the great year of 1986. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew Jay back in high school. And Jay and I have another connection. Jay's father, Reverend Hibbert, was the team chaplain for many sports, but specifically the football team that I played on in high school. I am tremendously fond of your entire family, Jay, because your brother also managed the television station for Pemberton High School that showed all of the sports programs. But with your father being the team chaplain, I had so many opportunities just to have conversations with who we called Rev. The rest. That's, right. That's right. And there weren't many people that I can think back decade that I can just remember exactly how the conversation initiated, how much we laughed, what we laughed about. But your father was a tremendous gentleman. Here's a story, Jay, that you may not even know. When I was transferred from the University of Florida to the University of Minnesota and going through some challenges as it related to my sports career, trying to find myself and figure out if I was making the right decision. I was on my way back to Gainesville. And as I'm leaving Pemberton to hit the turnpike, to head back mm-hmm. to where I needed to go, guess who I ran into? It was your yeah. father. I saw him in the yard. I think he was cutting the grass. Probably, yeah. I pulled over, had a conversation with him. He gave me a hug. We had a one hour conversation and he just really put me at ease and allowed me to feel a comfort level that everything was going to be okay. And I'll flip a few years later after a neck injury prematurely ended my career, I am leaving home again to go back to Minnesota. One of those things where I'm in a new phase of my life. Again, as I'm leaving town, your father's outside. I stopped. We talked for about an hour and again, allowed me to leave town with a greater comfort level and more focus and direction as far as what my purpose would be. Yeah, I was not aware of that. It doesn't surprise me for, to give context, we lived on the same road as the high school was on. So it was easy to kind of pass by there if you were ever traveling. But so he, he ended up having, we have, ended up having a lot of visitors in the yard over the years. And my dad was outside a lot. His involvement in sports and with people like yourself and Herb Smith and many, many others, I mean, through the years, really enriched his life. Personally, I think he got more out of it than he felt like he gave. 
he loved you guys like his own kids. Thanks for starting this off on an emotional note. <laughs> I miss my conversations with him, but I miss his laugh. His laugh was very infectious, as you know. And my dad always tried to relate to people, but one of the things he related to people on is humor. And so he always tried to connect with people on that level. It's kind of like music. Music brings people together. Humor brings people together. Exactly. And so a lot of times people would um, kind of like, oh, here comes the rev. And uh, <laughs> you know, I go, sh 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 here comes the rev. He didn't ever wanted that to be that way. So he just loved people. And it was probably the most powerful thing I watched in my life is that it didn't matter where you were from, where you live, sports, non-sports. It doesn't matter. Nationality. It didn't matter to my dad. It just mattered that you were people. We need to love people. And so I saw that firsthand and he loved you. And I know he loved watching you play. He was probably one of your biggest fans. And I remember watching highlights on the on the local TV station that my brother would put together and all those things. And there were exciting times in, in that high school football era. It was a fun time to watch. Well, your mother is a great woman and your brother is a great gentleman as well. I can remember being on his station, giving yeah. an interview after one of my football games. And we talked about this. We laughed about it a few weeks ago when we were prepping for this podcast. And he looked at me afterwards and he said, you did a great job along with the coaches who were there. But if we hear you say, um, one more time. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> decades later, I think about that when I'm speaking, but I was fortunate enough to be in that environment. And just to get that yeah. insight as a young man, and I apologize, you were about to say, Jay. No, no, no. I, I'm just going to concur. I mean, I, you and I reminisced about this a lot the last time we, we chatted. I am grateful for just where I grew up and, and the environment that it was and the people that I got to know and the connection that we still have literally almost 40 years later. It's crazy. You don't look like you've aged. I have a few more wrinkles here. It's the ball uh, Yeah, that's all right. You know, I'm just grateful for that experience. It was a, you know, as you look back on it, it was, um, I try to explain it to my kids now about, it didn't feel like it feels today in many cases. And I don't know why that was. And I know everybody just says that about the time in which they grew up, but we had a very diverse area and I just didn't sense the same hard black and white, you're on one side of an issue or another side of an issue kind of thing. And that really stemmed from athletics. It stemmed from the school system. It stemmed from the people that were there very diverse with the military influence of people living in, in and out all the time. And I'm grateful and grateful for this opportunity to reminisce a little bit, but hugely impact. And I think for you and for me created the foundation of who we are today. Jay, I couldn't agree with you more. In that town that we grew up in, Hermiton Township, we were fortunate enough to grow up next to a military base for our audience purposes, Fort Dix McGuire Air Force Base. And I yeah. think that allowed us to be afforded the opportunity to meet and grow up with yeah. kids and families from so many different countries. And like you said, ethnic backgrounds, which in a business environment, that is something that has really helped me in my career as it yeah. related to being able to develop relationships and sales and sales leadership. So how has that come into play for you today in regards to developing internal and external relationships? Well, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. We talked a lot about um, just that foundation. I, you talked about my dad. I think part of what informs who I am today is really my personal faith. And that is rooted in, I think, some some basic standards, beliefs, things that I believe are are foundational from a value perspective that should, I hope, influence all the relationships that I have. So the diversity of being in that melting pot, and it really was, yes. helped me understand 
that people are people and that's all the other stuff really doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, my faith, I think, informs me to say, I feel like I'm compelled to do is to, in my sense, you know, love God and love people. That's really simple. I got to keep it simple because it gets complicated when we fill in the blanks with everything else. And so yes. from my perspective, I think you just got to remember in business that every person has a name and that name matters to God. And if it matters to God, it matters to me. And so it should inform how I treat them. And so that doesn't mean you don't have difficult conversations with employees that, that need some coaching and counseling and a little bit of a structure to, to improve things. Doesn't mean that there's not standards or high levels of excellence. In fact, I believe it should be better. If you call yourself a person of faith, what you do should be better than everybody else. It doesn't mean you do it arrogantly. It just means your standards higher. I'm playing to a different audience. I'm not playing to the audience of people. And so, but in treating people, I think that has to do with integrity. It has to do with your honesty, compassion, approaching them with humility, vulnerability in business. Um, as a leader has served me very well. Now there's a balance to that. You don't have to tell everybody everything about yourself and all your weak points. But I think there's times that, that you tell your team that you're struggling with something like this is something that I don't know. I need your help. Let's talk about this or going right. to someone else for help. I think that's very, um, uh, it draws people in when you're vulnerable. And so I think just that environment of being able to look at people for who they are, not where they come from or anything else. And respecting them as people has informed how I think I've approached people in general, both I've worked with and have been clients of mine when I was in the consulting side of the business that I'm currently in. So, Well said. And Jay, I want to touch on that a little bit more as we talk about leadership and what that means to you. Please do me a favor. Tell our audience a little bit about Covenant Living Communities and Services, yeah. as well as your responsibilities there. One thing we know in life um, even though you're not showing it, is that we all get older, right? And so many people are familiar with senior living as an as a business or an industry, and that can be unfortunately kind of broad brush when you say senior living. People think nursing homes, and nursing homes can be a part of that. Assisted living communities can be a part of that, and then you have the independent living communities. We uh, Covenant Living um, has 19 communities in 10 states in all four time zones around the country. So actually, I usually start before everybody because I'm on the East Coast, um, but it ends kind of late because some of the West Coast people still want to have calls at 6 p.m. And I'm like, hey, hang on a second. That's nine my time, but we have to work those things out. That's so, management, right? Regardless yep, of where you're at. <laughs> that is right. You've got to be available and try to be accessible as best you can. So we do have those 19 communities around the country. About 5,800 people live in those communities. So people that are age 60, 60 years of age and older. All of our communities have the full, what we call continuum. So you have a, you have independent living on that where people come initially. And then as needs progress, they can have assisted living and skilled nursing care right on the same campus. So it's really that full continuum of care. That's what our communities are really made of. So people enter into a, a independent living, they buy, so to speak, into that community and then um, have that care provided for them later should they need it. My responsibilities, and we have about 3,800 employees too around the country, but my responsibilities oversee all the sales teams in all those communities so that we, we are in charge of all, I call it the revenue generation team because without us, there's no gas in the tank. So that's not to uh, put us above anybody else. It's just the reality that if we don't have occupancy, we don't have cash and there's challenges. That's on the healthcare side. It's on the independent living side. And it's a, there's a, a whole team of about 60 people around the country that are responsible yeah. for sales. 
And then I also uh, oversee communications, which has anything to do with internal communications, external communications and marketing, uh, crisis communications, that stuff happens, especially with COVID and everything else, those kinds of communications. We have an in-house video team that we do all kinds of video production for our internal audiences. And then business development is our acquisition and affiliation part of our business. So we've acquired three communities in the last three years about one a year, and we're on a path to probably go another two or three in the next couple of years. Just looked at about four opportunities today that have come across. Uh, so there's lots of lots of things that I, I deal with there. And as part of business development, I also oversee a team that is involved day to day in our construction, expanding our own communities, which we have about $200 million worth of business going on right now, expanding <laughs> our community. So I always say my my title tends to be a little bit like a run-on sentence, and I usually end it with sales, communications, business development, and anything the CEO asks me to do. Now, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm I'm learning to say no, but it's uh, I am about there, maxed out, but I am blessed to be there. It's a great organization. It's uh, We've been around since 1896 and serving you know seniors since that time. And it's rooted in a in a church tradition there with Swedish immigrants that came to America in the Chicago area with the Home of Mercy, which was in Chicago that cared for widows and orphans and people who didn't have any money. And that's how and that that initial community, although it looks different today, is still there and it's still part of our our uh, kind of our flagship, even though it's not kind of the nicest. It's still that it's still where it all started. So. It's a it's a great organization. We're um, doing really good work. At the end of the day, our common purpose as an organization is to create joy and peace of mind for our residents, employees, and their families by creating a better way of life. So it's our common purpose. We talk about it a lot, and it's not just a service to our residents who live there. It's also mm-hmm. serving our employees and serving each other, providing that care. Um, it's a great organization doing great work. Jay, when I was perusing your LinkedIn and I saw that title, I smiled because I am a title guy. Yeah. Some people will say it doesn't matter. To me, it matters. That's what we work hard for. And I work my way up from the bottom in corporate America. But tell me, when you think back, did you always envision becoming a leader or did you fall into this important role back in 1989? You know, it's interesting, Octavius. I'll, I'll tell you a little side story to what I'm going to a little foundation to what I'm going to tell you is that um, this year, my son is just about 18, senior high school. He's got another year before he goes off to college. I have committed to him that every week I'm writing him a letter. So between the end of August till the end of August next year, while he's home, it'll be 52 letters. They're not random thoughts. They're, they're thoughts I've put out kind of on a piece of paper of topics, mm-hmm. but they're really sharing kind of advice and things that I would have told my younger self. I don't know what I'll ever do with them someday. It's not about a book. I'm not going to write a book about them. The reason why I tell you that is one that I just wrote to him recently was about just taking advantages of the opportunities that you're giving, given and to pay attention. Because when you're given opportunities to sit at tables and have your seat under a table with a group of people that you didn't quite think you'd ever be there pay attention because you will learn things that trust me if you're paying attention you will apply to something in the future that will give you another opportunity so if i would flash back to 1989 
No, I probably didn't envision myself here in this particular position. As you look at the size of our organization, we're the seventh largest. So it's you know top 10 in the country, so to speak. That doesn't mean anything per se, like, oh, I'm the I'm in the top 10 of that rung of, of, of professionals in what I do. But I've been in this business a long time to have worked little by little, taking advantage of those opportunities for those next leadership roles. And I would just say that as I look back, the thing that has helped me is paying attention and taking advantage of the opportunities that you're given and also making yourself available to say, when somebody's looking, you're like, I'll do it. I got it. And I find there's so many times that I even asked that today, and I'm just like, okay, I'm hearing crickets. Somebody just step up. <laughs> and so that's what leaders are looking for. They're looking for people to be willing. It doesn't mean you know the answers. In fact, I want people just to be able to say, I'm going to take a risk and do it. And so I had really good leaders that I've worked for that gave me the runway to be able to make mistakes, frankly, and along the way, learn from them, coach me through them, and then give me more opportunities and more responsibility. And so I think for me, I never quite envisioned maybe where I'm today, but I always felt that I would lead in something. I just maybe didn't have the full context of what it would look like. Exactly. It's great what you just touched on because so many leaders fail to empower their team members. I don't like to call folks employees right. because they're team members. And if you take that approach to management, and as you stated earlier, Jay, understand that it's still a people's business, whether yeah. you're selling a product or service, it's still a people's business. Think back to something you said a little while ago regarding paying attention, because I have a close friend of mine. We always talk about that, being intentional and paying attention. What's a lesson that you took away from one of those meetings? You talked about being in that boardroom, paying attention. Can you think back on something that was just really powerful that you've taken throughout your career from one of those meetings or someone who was a mentor or even one of your bosses from the past? Yeah, I think one of the things that was instilled in me by one of the people I, I worked with was, first of all, was my first job out of college. And before I got involved in senior living, it was in public, a public relations firm in Washington, D.C. And our biggest client at the time was Oliver North. And we were raising money for his legal defense fund back in 1989. <laughs> it was a fascinating job. I was in meetings at 21 years old. I have no idea why I was sitting in this meeting. So one of the, honestly, the pieces of advice he gave me in those meetings was act like you're supposed to be here. It came down to how you carried yourself and the mm -hmm. confidence you had in that. So what that informed me is you can't fake it. You can't be overwhelmed by a situation or intimidated by a situation so that you're frozen. And so I watched him a lot. I watched this, the people in those meetings a lot. I acted confident, not arrogant, but had inner confidence because he gave it to me. He said, right. you're supposed to be here. Act like you've been here before and it'll be fine. Because I remember the first time he sent me to a, a reception from some senator and I was like, what in the world am I doing in this meeting? I'm from Pemberton, New Jersey. <laughs> the people from Pemberton aren't in these meetings. And um, he just, it's the last thing he told me before I went, he says, just act like you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be there. You're my representative tonight. You need to be there. I was just like, I am supposed to be here. They don't know how old I am. And honestly, Octavius, that 
went into my then my work into senior living a, a year or two later. And I would always think at 24 years old, how am I going to counsel a 65 year old on a decision they need to make? That's not a cheap uh, decision to make. Right. Big life decision. Probably that you make this one time in your life. How in the world are they going to listen to me? And that would always come back to me. Number one, be confident in the product you have and confidently present it. You have to cast a vision for them to see what the benefits are always going to be. And obviously, you can talk about any product and you can, you know, how do you, how do you come up with a, the value proposition for people? But at the end of the day, it comes down to people buy you first. And the one thing I observed, honestly, going back to your example about my dad was, People bought him as a person, not bought him, but that's what attracted them to my dad. And that's why he had so many people that would call him a, you know, a really good friend. And the stories that you shared are, are legitimate and exactly who he was. But I saw him just do that. And it was about just being who you are and drawing, compelling people, drawing people in to a conversation that then could lead you to another conversation, whether it was about faith or whether it was about your business or about a product down the road, you know, whatever it is. So those things in, definitely informed me on how I, I think I learned that lesson and applied it and think about it even today, honestly, right? Um, uh, at certain situations that I'm in. I've been in training sessions, development sessions, sitting down with mentors who I respect and the one thing that people always say, along with being confident, and I love the fact that you said that you can be confident and at the same time, not be arrogant. Yeah, arrogant. Yeah. You know, humble confidence is something that I think all leaders must possess. With that being said, what does leadership mean to you, Jay? There are so many definitions out there of leadership. What is it for you? Yeah. I, I boil it down to it's not a it's not my personal definition, but it's a definition that has always resonated with me. And leadership is influence, and we all, all have influence. You, we influence um, spouses, friends, coworkers, kids influence each other. So it was another one of the letters I wrote to my son was about about leadership, and that sometimes we don't think we're leaders, but we are because all of us have influence. And so leadership to me is just influence. And then it's honestly how you do it. It's the stewardship of that influence. And that should then you know, be informed by the way we, the way we interact with people, uh, fairness and integrity and compassion and all those things that are really important hallmarks of really solid, healthy relationships. I think one question I've asked, I ask it almost every year of my team. So when I do performance evaluations and and we're in that cycle for us coming up now. I always ask him one question of me. And it's kind of like I ask it and then I kind of hold my breath, to be honest with you, because I want I know what I want him to say. But sometimes I, I hear other constructive things. And it's a statement that a friend of mine, Clay Scroggins, who's a leadership author and speaker, has said. And it's what's it like to be on the other side of me? Love it. When you ask somebody that, like, what's your experience working with it. What's it like to be on the other side? I know what it's like to be on this side, but what's it like to be on that side? And sometimes you hear, Jay, sometimes you, when I'm talking about something, you don't seem fully engaged in the conversation. Sometimes, um, you know, you just want to kind of check it off the box and move on. They're right sometimes. There have been instances of that where I, I'm like, you know what, I've got to be able to be humble enough to say, yeah, I'm your boss. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, 
I'm responsible too in this relationship. It's not a one-sided right. relationship. So right. leadership is influence. Hopefully I'm influencing people by their experience working with me uh, in a in an organizational chart for me. But I never mm -hmm. like to say that. I always I always frame it as you work, you're on my team or we're working together. Everybody knows who they work for in a boss relationship. Right. But I'm, I want to keep it more on that horizontal level. Not that there's not a, a hierarchy of responsibility or, or authority, so to speak. Right. But um, at the end of the day, I want them to be in, feel empowered. I do not want to have to make all the decisions. I always say, if I have to do your job, we'll have another conversation. I'm not going <laughs> to micromanage it because if I have to, that's an entirely different conversation we're going to have. I've been blessed with, in that way. And I hope that my influence, my uh, leadership of those people, my hope is that every year I get some good stuff along with some of the things I need to work on as well. I need to be constantly learning. It's the other thing that I have learned through my career that if you're not growing, you're dying and you got to just, you got to be open to that. And that's hard when you feel right. like you've achieved a certain level. And it's like, well, wait, wait, you can't say that to me. Or, <laughs> no, uh, there's a way in which hopefully you create an environment where people can give you back in a real relational way. And, you know, hey, I'll work on that. Let's, let's work together on it. Hold me accountable. Yeah. I love your approach to that because so many leaders or people who are managers striving to become leaders micromanage because they yeah. think they have to have their finger on a pulse of everything. Was there ever a time when you were a micromanager? Someone oh, who yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to work for? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think we've all learned we've all learned lessons doing that. And it and especially as you your professional orientation well in sales, when you've got targets to hit and you've got uh, expectations of whether it's shareholders in a for-profit situation or or your board of directors or or whatever it might be. Um, when you know the path to success and you know what it's going to take, sometimes it's easy to headlock it and just like, we're going. That will work for a season in a short little time. Right. It might allow you to hit a goal, but you may have lost a relationship in the meantime. I've learned lessons along the way that have probably tempered my approach where I always believe there's safety and accountability. It's like guardrails in life. It's like guardrails on a road, right? Guardrails right. are there so you don't go off the cliff. It doesn't mean you can't have fun on the road. You have plenty of fun on the road, right? But you can't be careless. And so in, 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 in our work, we have expectations. They're the guardrails. There's a lot of leeway in here that we can give employees to get there to the end game. And so I think it's about being open to, to some new ideas. Sometimes I, I learned through that process that it didn't have to be the way I would do it. Exactly. Wow. Amazingly <laughs> enough, they were still successful not doing it the way I would have done it. So I love it. <laughs> you know, I've learned I've learned those those lessons along the way as well. I've conducted executive coaching sessions where I've had people who were like minded with similar titles in a room, because one of the things I've realized over my career is that many leaders do not ask for feedback. The higher you climb up the corporate ladder, the less feedback you're getting on your management style, your communication style, how you approach business. And a few minutes ago, you touched on something that made me smile. The fact that you asked your team members to provide you feedback yeah. on your leadership. Is that something that you learned from a mentor? You picked it up in a book. What led you to incorporating that into your business activities? You know, it's funny because I probably had never been that intentional about it until about three years ago. And it was it was really getting to know Clay Scroggins, who I mentioned earlier, 
Uh, he wrote a book that's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And it's a great book if you anybody not not promoting it, but it's just an easy read, great book, very practical. The first thing he said is in order to be kind of an effective leader, you have to lead yourself well first. That's it. Self-leadership. And so I kind of looked at that and that, you know, I'm not sure I I am leading myself well, because leading myself well means I'm going to I need that feedback in order to get better. And so then there's there's that there's that question that really kind of just kept on haunting me, frankly. I was like, I don't know if I want to ask, answer that. I mean, I feel like I good good relationships, but not quite sure I'm ready to hear <laughs> the honest, unvarnished truth. And then I just said, okay, you got to jump off the ledge here. You got to do it. One thing it did for me was it gave me great feedback, things that I, I have learned to work on. The second thing is, it, again, it's the truth. But they understood that I was open to to that just as they were open and opened up an entirely different dynamic to kind of the typical relationships you have in the hierarchy of an organization. It made those personal relationships a little deeper. I I basically said, committing to this and I want you to hold hold me accountable. If you see me doing this, I want you to throw the flag. And we're going to, you're going to throw the challenge flag and we're going to pause. I'll go back and look at the replay and you're going to be right. We will not overturn the call. We'll, we'll try to move forward in a, in a more effective way. So yeah, it wasn't natural for me because I don't think anybody really wants to, hey, tell me what I'm not doing, doing well. Right, and right. Some of the things I was able to kind of explain, well, maybe that was misunderstood and not being defensive, but I understand how you felt that way, but that's really not what I meant with this example that you're giving me. And they're like, okay, now I understand the context of it. So it just created a dialogue. And in some other cases, I was like, you know what? The example you just gave me, you're exactly, I totally remember that. And you're exactly right. Awesome. And and I said, in the future, call me out on it right away in the, in the right way. In See, I would enjoy working for you, Jay, because <laughs> you know, I've worked for a few leaders, you know, CEOs who refrain from doing those type of things. Having strong working relationships is truly important in any business environment, but even more so post-pandemic. Yeah. And I see so many leaders, they practice avoidance. When there's conflict, they're not quick to resolve it, but they're quick to avoid. How do you work on developing great working relationships with your team members to create an environment that's conducive to success? One is you really need to know your team personally. And that's not, I don't need to, I don't want to know. I don't want to know everything. But I do want to know the most important things. I want to know the name of their spouse. I want to know the names of their kids, how many grandchildren they have. Do they have a dog? You know, all those things. They have a a vacation home. What do they like to do for fun? Asking them specifically, kind of when you we rat on your one-on-one in a given week, how was the weekend? What'd you do? You know, just really, how's Bill doing today? If it was somebody's husband, just be able to connect with them personally. I find that when people know that you really genuinely care about them, who doesn't respond positively to that? You talking about my dad? I mean, we're off to the races now. I mean, you're not going to, I mean, there's not a, there's not a bad way this conversation could go because that's important to me. So I think it's them. I think you have opportunities when things happen. We have plenty of opportunities in our lifetime to speak into the life of people and to speak life to them. And everybody goes through hard times. They go through loss, death, hard times with children, health scares. I think they are huge opportunities 
and building blocks for a relationship if we want to go down that path. And I'm not saying take advantage of it. It's doing the right thing. The benefit of doing the right thing is that it deepens those relationships that at the end of the day, they're like, I'm going to walk through broken glass for you on my knees. It's that connection that I think, you know, I strive for. I always love the fact that I have two employees that work for me right now, Mm -hmm. two associates and, and team members that I've hired twice in my career. Nice. So they always say they're following me. I tell them I select them every time I go somewhere because I don't hire them. I select them because I trust them. They're high performers. We're aligned personally, values wise. And I know that I could go away tomorrow. Either one of them could step into my shoes. My job is to perform and to do the best job I can in the responsibilities I'm given today. But I have to, I have to set a path for what what's after Jay Hibbard. If it's only, oh, well, that was a great run and we we had a we had a you know we've had we had good results. And then it changes and everything goes downhill. Well, that's not so good. Right. So my job is not to, it's not about, I don't want to ever talk about a legacy. A legacy is not what I'm worried about, what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about growing the next generation of leaders. I'm 56 years old. I'm not going to be here forever. You know, I'm, I got a good long run yet. So if anybody's listening to this, that's on my team behind me, I'm not ready yet. You don't look a day over 46, Jay. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, um, But it is my responsibility to be thinking about that in a succession plan. Mm -hmm. And so it is about giving people that are underneath of you opportunities to grow, which I think, again, dovetails into building solid relationships. When people know you care about them and you're interested in their professional development, they will respond differently when you're in hard times or you need to hold them accountable or having the hard conversation. I always believe having the hard conversation. I used to early in my career, like I'd get all worked up about it. And and it's not that I don't prepare now for those difficult conversations, but I've sw- I flipped the script on it really to say I'm really having this conversation to help them. Right. This isn't gonna. This isn't to hurt them. This is to help them so we avoid the firing or the termination. This is to get right. them to a place where they can maybe they're just off their game a little bit. Maybe they're just distracted. It's honestly an opportunity for me to then again say, tell me what's going on. Forget about the numbers, forget about the metrics, forget about performance. What's going on? Tell me what's going on with you. Because I believe that if you're not, if you, I always say, if you stink at home, you stink at work. Eventually. Right. You you can hide that for a while, but if things are a mess at home, you know, it's influencing the work. So let's talk about that. And and we've been able to, I tell you, there've been a couple of situations where I had performance issues, having those conversations. And we've been able to say, all right, Here's some help. Here's some resources to you. HR has got some good stuff for you to take advantage of. Let's let's get a hold of this. Some people have had substance issues. Some people have you know, all kinds of stuff that comes out that we've been able to help them. And so what was started as kind of like, oh, this is not real fun because this is about you're not performing to a level of typical standard or the standards we've set turned out to we can help them. And I can say in a couple cases, they were great stories and and totally uh, got back on track and everything was great. And then a couple others, it just didn't. And that happens too. Sometimes people leaving is the best thing could ever happen to them. Exactly. And Jay, I was accustomed to doing one-on-ones because when I started my career at MCI as a young manager like yourself at the beginning of your career, it was a requirement. My yeah. leader, he didn't care about anything else other than are they hitting their revenue goals? And did you 
conduct a one-on-one. What's your philosophy on one-on-ones? Because I hear so many leaders say it's unnecessary, it's a waste of time. I am a firm believer that one-on-ones can enhance productivity, enhance the working relationship when done like you described it. So what's your view on one-on-ones? I guess I'll categorize them in two different categories. One is I have an I have uh, nine direct reports that again that large organization I described, but nine direct reports that then have a whole organization underneath them. But every every week I have a touch base with them, and it's structured, it's quick, it's thirty minutes. We try to keep it very very much on tasks. But there's a personal piece of that. There's a business piece of that. There's a you know at the end of the day on those calls, I want to know what can I do to leverage my position to help you be successful. That's all I want to, that's all I want to identify. I'm not going to tell them how to do it. I mean, I mean, if they're asking for advice, I might coach them on something or coach them on an approach. But at the end of the day, I want to know how I can leverage my influence to make them successful or the, or the teams that they're, they're overseeing successful. That's one sense of one-on-one, which is more of an ongoing kind of connectivity point. But I believe that you have to have, and you just said it earlier, well, one of the, this is a great part of technology, we can virtually be together. But I believe you have, when you have to have a difficult conversation or a, a conversation that's more than just informational or directional, it needs to have one-on-one communication. And you need to go away with those meetings with agreed upon and agreed upon direction or alignment. Sometimes that alignment is we're not in alignment. We got to get back together. <laughs> and, and I've been there where, we're, well, this is probably not going to get solved unless we talk another hour and we don't have that. So let's schedule another time to come back. Sometimes it gives a chance to pause, regroup, and you can reframe it and come at it differently. I feel they're invaluable to handling the handling challenging situations or things that can't be handled in norm, the normal course of, of communication. I also then, again, believe that you avoid a lot of those difficult conversations if you're staying in relationship with those people on a consistent basis. I just think you can't divorce yourself from the value of that. I truly appreciate that and agree wholeheartedly. Jay, I've always tried to manage with principle-centered leadership. How has your Christian values shaped your leadership style? And more importantly, how do you find balance? Because there are some organizations or leaders that have similar values as yourself but they lack the balance to align it well with the organization's core values. Yeah, I think it's been different as I think back quickly to different organizations I've worked through throughout my career has been somewhat different based upon where you are. Mm -hmm. I think if faith is real or your value system is real in your life, the expression of those can look a little differently. Because sometimes you're more free to express it in certain environments, like I currently am. I can I could talk about that and not be uncomfortable for people. And there's other areas, other places that I've worked that it wasn't that way. And that's okay. What I am responsible to do is to live it out. And so again, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What do people experience when they work with me on a project or, or on a client pitch or in the, the current job I'm in and whatever we're doing strategically in the organization. What's it like? I believe it should inform how I respond to people, the tone in which I respond to people. I've learned a lot of lessons with that too, by the way, because sometimes I, I can pound out a really good email 
<laughs> and I've learned some lessons. In fact, I just shared this with my son too about, um, I had a client of this quick diversion, a client of mine when I was consulting, I was right. I knew I was right. They were wrong. They weren't listening to my advice. And I pounded out this email um, late at night in the hotel, hit send. Next day I go in, see that client. And this client said to me, so I got your email. <laughs> and I, yeah, I kind of knew probably shouldn't send it. And you know right, what's right. interesting? She said to me, she said, I'm just going to share with you something that I call the Nana rule. I'm like, what's the Nana rule? She said, well, my grandmother always told me when you had something really difficult, or if you're really revved up about something, that you really need to pause, sleep on it, wait, even write it out and not send it. And then read it again in the morning or the next day and see if you still feel the same way. Well, that was a hard lesson for me to learn, <laughs> but I've never forgotten. Never, ever have I forgotten. So again, it has informed. That was a lesson learned. I did, wasn't doing a good job of living it out on that particular place. I also think, um, Octavius, it has to do with you know what, how, how I value my personal relationships, being faithful to my wife, being a good father. All those things are tangible things that people watch and see and observe. I told you on our call a few weeks ago, I said, you know, yeah, my dad was a pastor. Faith, that environment was, I've always known it. It didn't become personal to me until later in life, late teens, early 20s, those years that became personal to me. But I would tell you, I heard a lot of sermons my dad spoke. I don't remember one of them. <laughs> I do remember what I observed. And you gave some examples of those kinds of things that I've observed through my life about how he loved people. And that's how I kind of try to distill it down. And so how I try to live it out and how I try to help it inform me is it really should inform how I treat people and how I care about people and really being genuine about that. And that's not something you can fake. I'm not saying I got it right. I can tell you I fail miserably all the time still at, at my age and all the things I thank thankful for grace that I have. But it's it's something that I continue to strive for as a standard of how I should live out my life. And that means, you know, you know, you know, integrity, the, the best uh, definition of integrity is who you are. No one's watching. Right. My wife knows that when I go, when I'm traveling, I've traveled for a long, long time, but she knows that I will never go to a restaurant and sit at a bar to have dinner. Right. And I won't. And it's not because I don't trust myself. It's I just don't want to put myself in that position. Right. Right. And have people observed that? The people have observed that before. You know, business, you get invited out to certain kinds of places. Yes. And I just go, you know what? That's that's just not how I roll. You guys have a good time. And that's not offensive. That's just trying to live out those live, live out who I am. Um, right. Because I look at a great quote that I heard was later is longer. And you've got to play for the long game. And the long game is much more valuable than those short things that you might experience that you think are those momentary things that you look back on like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. So, exactly. you know, exactly. I, I just think it, it's not living under any set of rules. It's living under a values that, again, drives, should drive our behavior. And it's not just on the do's and don'ts. It's just how you treat people and how you live it out. That's it come down to some simple things. I don't know if they're meaningful to people hearing that, but kind of the ways that I think it has informed me, both in my personal and, and work life. And just the fact that you have those two professionals that you talked about a little while ago wanting to work for you at different organizations say a lot as well. And on that point, your background, as I was perusing your LinkedIn, is so impressive, Jay. I want to talk about 
before we wrap up being a board member because mm. a lot of people may not know how to go about that or the responsibilities behind that. But one of the things that I noticed in looking at your impressive background is that you obviously are very talented, but you practice a lot of patience. And patience isn't about just waiting for things to happen. Sometimes it's more about how you react to certain situations during that wait process. For a lot of professionals, myself included, who are very ambitious, we, we want it now. <laughs> we have to have it now. How did you go about practicing patience in some of your roles to have such longevity that created that sustainable success? That's a, that's a great question, Octavius. I would probably say if you were in my head during those years, maybe I wasn't as patient as it appears on paper. <laughs> With anybody who's in a role, and it doesn't matter what level you might be or what title you have, but there's opportunities in front of you, whether in your organization or outside of your organization. I think it's understanding that what my responsibility is to do right now is to do my job the best I can and perform to the highest level that I can influence. You can't control results. You can't control the economy. You can't control when a client buys or, or doesn't buy. But I can surely influence all my activity to get there, right? right. So when people say, well, you know, well, I'm having a down, down year in sales. And I'm like, well, tell me what you're doing. Tell me, tell me what's going on. Because it all comes back to, that's great. I mean, that's a great comment. There may be some legitimate reasons. All the reasons we've come up with, COVID, inflation, the interest rates, all the reasons why people won't buy a product or move forward with a service maybe that somebody is involved with. But I can control how creative I am in, in cultivating relationships that I've right. had in the past. I can control the number of times I pick up the phone and try to call people, right? I can try the number of times, I can control the number of times I sit down and try to connect with people, LinkedIn, emails, whatever the case might be. So I believe in those seasons that we're placed in, I'm not responsible for the results necessarily. I'm responsible for the activity. I believe if the activity's there, the results come over in time. I think it's just being focused on what I'm given today of being patient, so to speak, in that role, looking for opportunities along the way to take more on, always being willing when there's an opportunity to like, I think I can do that. I'd love to be involved in that project. I'd love to be involved in that team. I think to position yourself in a way that when an opportunity does come, the first person they think of is you because of their experience with you and saying, hey, great attitude great work ethic, initiative, all the things people want as for a team member. And so I think there is patience. It's probably a, a tempered patience because I'm always a little bit like, okay, what's next? Like you are. We just ended a fiscal year. Our fiscal year ends in September. We're done. And now it's like, we had a great, we good year, met our numbers. Woo, woo, yay. And then it's Monday and we're back to a whole new fiscal year. So it's like... <laughs> I sent a I sent a message out to the entire sales organization today just about like it's kind of like back to the grindstone, right? Celebrate it for a minute and then we're back at it. And that's the nature of what we do. It's the nature of salespeople. They know that. But it, and it's it's that thrill of the chase. But again, part of that is just being patient, diligent, and doing the best job you can in the role you're given. And for anyone who's watching or listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to find 
Jay Hibbert on LinkedIn. And you'll see what I mean when I talked about his impressive background, because Jay started in leadership, if I'm correct, in 1989 yeah. and has held some very impressive roles, which leads me to asking the question for myself as well yeah. as my audience. How did you become a board member and how would someone who aspires to get into a very important role such as that go about it? Interestingly enough, that happened just from really having a wide network of people that I had done work with. I had done work with this particular community. Shell Point Retirement Community is one of the largest standalone. There's uh, about 2,000 people that live there in one location in Fort Myers. Probably one of the nicest you'd ever experience. It's got a marina. It's got an 18-hole championship golf course. It's got everything, every bell and whistle and phenomenal healthcare on site. So a beautiful place, always admired it, got to do some work there and got to know the CEO. That's about all that happened. Stayed in touch, stayed connected, stayed connected to their, their VP of sales. He actually has tried to recruit me a couple of times and just was never the right timing to do it. But then approached me just saying, we would like to have your perspective and expertise on the board. Would you consider it? At first, I was like, wow. I just didn't feel like I wasn't even sure I could bring anything to the table. I mean, I quickly learned that that's not the case. Again, going back to or act like you're supposed to be here and really with the mindset that, you know what? I do have a lot to bring here. I have a lot of experience in this industry. It's been a great, I'm still on the board uh, a little bit over 10 years now, renewed a couple of times, a couple of terms, um, thought I would get off a couple of times and, and <laughs> didn't. Glad I didn't. They just asked me to be on the executive committee now. So taking on a little bit, a little different level of responsibility, but it has really informed my career because I have always been on one side of the table pitching to clients, boards in the consulting years, pitching to boards when I worked for the owner provider side, pitching to private equity firms when I was when a president of a marketing agency. And I was really had that perspective. That was my perspective on that relationship. But sitting on the other side of the table as a board member has really helped me become better on this side of the table because the board perspective is different. And one of the best things I heard when I joined that board was this. It was a quote from their, from their uh, CEO at the time, Peter Dice, and he said, if a board wants to run an organization, they should be fired. <laughs> and if a board has to run an organization, somebody else needs to be fired. So it was really a lesson in just that quick little statement that has never left me that has talked about a board's role and in a fiduciary role, oversight, but not management. Right. And for me, that has been a good lesson because it's hard. I can sitting on that board and having sat on the other seat of the same industry, I can go right into the, to the weeds really fast. Right. And I've had to pull back and understand that's not my place. My place is a little bit broader, but I've been able to coach those people, those team members on the other side who report to us on how to get to the yes. And because they'll be like, well, we didn't, you know, we presented this and, and the board turned it down. And I'm like, the reason why we turned it down was and explained to them how it needs to be presented. And so it's really, it really has been helpful to me. So I would say number one is, be good at what you do. Um, number two, have a really good network. 
Number three, I'd ask when you see opportunities or organizations you'd like to be involved with, tell them if there's an opportunity to serve on your board at some point in time, I'd love the opportunity because some people don't even think you would want to. Right. And then fourth, I would just say, learn as much as you can when you're there. If you're actively involved in that process, it will, as a business leader, inform your career. And I think it makes you a better leader. Jay, I have so much respect for you Mm. and the success that you have achieved in your professional career, but more importantly, the respect and admiration that I have for you as a man and as a friend. So I am honored that you took time with me to come onto this podcast. Wow. You have dropped so much knowledge (laughs) that I am truly appreciative. And I'm quite sure my audience, whether they're listening or viewing this feels the same. So thank you so much. Well, Octavius, I I told you this when you asked, I was really humbled and I really am to be asked to just chat with you. And, you know, my hope is that there's been one thing that somebody could take out of all the stuff that I just rattled, just not all kinds of all over the map, but one thing that they can take away is say, you know what, I'm going to apply that to become a better leader. Uh, in what I do. If that happened, I'll feel like this is time well spent for for me, only because that's about building value in people's life and hopefully helping them to be better leaders. So thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to seeing you sometime soon in person, I hope. Definitely, definitely. I'm quite sure people will walk away with uh, a lot of knowledge. You can follow Jay on LinkedIn, Jay Hibbert. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit like, share, and come back and take part in our podcast and this episode. We truly appreciate everyone taking their time with us. Jay, thank you again. Everyone have a great day. Carpe diem.